Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. This week, you just have me, I don't have a guest, and I wanted to talk to you about something that has been kind of weighing on my mind recently and been something that I've really been looking into and trying to reframe the way I have thought about it, and that is neglect, both emotional and physical. I've never really thought of my childhood as neglectful, and I know some of you that have listened to the podcast episodes and have heard some of the stories from my childhood will be like... (laughs) How could you not have thought of it that way, Harriet? Like, that's insane. It was definitely neglectful. And if I heard somebody else telling me the stories that I have shared with you in previous episodes and across my channels on Toby and Rue and Unfollowing Mum on TikTok and Insta, then yeah, I would absolutely say, oh, you know, that's not right if it was somebody else. But when I think about myself, I really struggled to think of my childhood in terms of neglect. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, then I talk a lot about my relationship with my mother who was in incredibly narcissistic and for reference talking about somebody being narcissistic or exhibiting narcissistic traits or having narcissism is not the same as diagnosing them with MPD which is narcissistic personality disorder. We all have as we discovered in episode 10 with Helen Villers and Katie McKenna who were both specialists in working with adults who've experienced narcissistic parents. Everybody has narcissism within them. Everybody has a healthy part of narcissism. It's what allows us to want for more. It's what allows us to feel entitled to things like perhaps a pay rise or fair pay or all these different things. That is healthy narcissism where it's not at the jeopardy of somebody else. What my mother exhibited was very toxic narcissism. And in a lot of ways, her behaviour was that of a covert narcissist, which if you've read Daniel Morrigan's book, You're Not Crazy, It's Your Mother, which I 100% recommend if you have a difficult relationship with your mother or you suspect that she is a narcissist. She talks about Paul Wink's paper, which is the two faces of narcissism and how covert narcissists have the vulnerability and sensitivity traits, whereas traditional narcissists that we know of are overt narcissists, where they have that grandiosity, that, oh, I'm so much better than you. They're out about it. They're very proud. They're very confident. They're very demanding. You might notice when somebody behaves like 
narcissist, but with a covert narcissist, it's so much more sinister. And essentially what you end up having is a child that walks around on eggshells. Both are just as bad as each other and both pose problems for children. And yes, they can flit in between the two. But covert narcissism was something that I feel very strongly was prevalent in my relationship with my mum. I talk a lot about how we had an incredibly enmeshed relationship, which is one of the reasons that I think I struggle so much to look at my childhood as neglectful, because I was infantilized a lot. Weirdly enough, the infantilization is something that I've always struggled with more, because it feels like it's at such a juxtaposition with the parentification that I experienced growing up. And there was a lot of emotional parentification, just to hit pause, if you are new to those terms, infantilization means pretty much what you'd expect it to mean. It's keeping the child or young person or adult, whomever, as a very young child, treating them as a baby, babying them is what we might call it if we were talking outside of psychology terms. And then parentification is making them responsible for you as the parent, be it emotionally or physically, doing things like raising your siblings. When we spoke to Gemma Wilson um, about parentification and parental alcoholism a lot of what she experienced having to raise her siblings having to do their breakfast having to get them dressed that is physical parentification emotional parentification which is more what I experienced is essentially becoming your parents spouse friend, confidant, um, their therapist. A lot of my experiences growing up, I was spoken to in an incredibly age inappropriate way. For example, I knew all of the court proceedings that were happening with my parents' divorce. I knew all of the ins and outs. My mum would cry to me frequently or talk to me aggressively frequently about my dad and what an awful person he was and essentially offload onto me whilst I would try and fix it. So when I look back at my childhood, I think this is what I find really difficult to recognize because especially being an only child with a narcissistic parent I was fulfilling all the roles the role of golden child the role of scapegoat the role of invisible child it just depended on what need my mum needed to fill at that particular moment and this isn't uncommon for a child to be both parentified and infantilized because it's a way of a narcissistic person gaining control around you right? If one minute you are super responsible, you're so grown up. Oh, you just get on so well with adults and you just do so much. I don't know how I could possibly live without you to support me and help me. And then the next minute you're reminded you are just a child. Do as I say, not as I do. You need to do this. You're a child. You can't have a say. Well, then you're always walking on eggshells, aren't you? And you can never really find any peace. So you stay in your fight and flight response. And I think the infantilization in particular makes it really difficult for me to reconcile my childhood neglect because I look back at the things that my mum did and until I started to grow up, started to assess them as an adult and started to really think about what went on, I always just saw them as an example of a loving, caring parent. So I'll give you one example. I was at my second school, so I must have been about 10 coming up to 11. And I distinctly remember I hated going into school on a Saturday morning, but that was part of the rules. The school had a Saturday morning school and then they did sports in the afternoon until three o'clock. And it was compulsory. You couldn't just turn around and say, no, you don't want to go. And every Saturday morning at the age of 10, my mum would run me a bath whilst I was still sleeping in our bed because I certainly didn't sleep in my own and then would get me into the bath and wash me. And now having a 10 and just 12 year old, I find that so uncomfortable because I was perfectly capable of washing myself. I didn't have special needs that required my parents aid, which is obviously completely different, but I was given no 
physical boundaries. I was given no personal respect in that sense, that personal boundary. It was something that my mum just considered normal because I was her baby and she would often refer to me as her baby, which in a normal dynamic is absolutely normal, you know, and this is what is really difficult to untangle about all of these things, because there are so many things about my childhood and about the childhoods experienced by adults who have had narcissistic parents that just seem or sound normal. And you're like, well, what are you moaning about? That wasn't that bad. I mean, come on. And you've always been raised on gaslighting. So you're taught to self-gaslight and to say to yourself, well, it wasn't that bad. Nobody actually physically raped me. Nobody actually physically punched me in the mouth. And obviously, if those were things that you did experience, then I am sending you so much kindness and love and empathy. They were not things that I experienced. And quite often, we treat abuse as a contest of and especially in our own minds as well we treat it as a contest of oh well that person had it worse than me so it wasn't that bad yes it absolutely was really bad and you are allowed to grieve that childhood that you had and you are allowed to be angry about that experience that you had and you're allowed to say that was really fucked up because as much as all of these small things like for example always referring to me as her baby always reminding me that I am her baby always telling me that no one will love you as much as I do don't sound bad on the surface but when you add them in to being told that you still needed to be bathed at the age of 10, 11, being still in her bed at the age of 12, 13, they actually become quite sinister. And there is a podcast episode in and of itself with those examples talking about covert sexual abuse, which I would really love to have a professional come on and talk about because I think that is a very interesting topic and something that, again, is so overlooked and so dismissed and something that we just don't really talk about as a society. It is certainly something that has been flagged to me on a number of occasions and something that I would like to dig into myself. But as with a lot of things with growing up in that narcissistic household, these are things that I thought were perfectly normal. And yes, I may have always felt a little bit uncomfortable or had the odd bit here and there where I thought, "Mm, that doesn't feel very normal. But you are taught this is how affection is shown and this is the norm. And you don't really question it. You don't have the tools, especially as a child, to question it. And something that I don't think people realise when you are growing up in a toxic household and it's a really traumatic experience, is that children naturally do not blame or place the blame with their caregiver for things. They internalise it. Let's be frank, there is nothing more frightening for a child than to think that their primary caregiver cannot fulfil their needs, cannot meet those basic needs. And we know this from children who protect their parents against social services, if their parents are uh, drug addicts, alcoholics, all of these different things. In fact, we've spoken to people on the podcast who've had really traumatic experiences with parents who have very obvious neglect and they have never spoken forward about it as children. They've always tried to protect the parent. They've always tried to just get on and do the best that they can because children internalise these things. That is simply the way that we are built. And because you internalise those feelings, you also internalise the shame that surrounds those feelings and realising that actually actually, perhaps this isn't normal. I cannot tell you of the amount of times that friends have come to me and said, oh, you know, Harriet, that's not, that's not really normal. And I've poo-pooed it, or I've passed it off, or I've said, oh, don't be ridiculous. It's you that's not normal for not being this close to your mum. 
And yet they were quite correct. It wasn't normal. And again, growing up and talking about sharing a bed with my mum, I remember being really embarrassed and never wanting to tell friends that when I was starting year seven at secondary school, I was still sharing a bed with my mum because intuitively, I think I knew that that was a bit odd. That was a bit strange. There was no reason for us to share a bed that was unusual. And I internalized those feelings of shame and embarrassment because I was the problem. I was the one that was so clingy and needy with my mum that I had to get into bed with her, never actually realising that, oh, hang on a minute, okay, this is a scenario that has been created and encouraged by the adult in the situation, not the child, because you don't realise that when you're a child. And I know I said this was about neglect and I am getting a bit off topic. We're at 11 minutes now and I'm talking about other things. But I do think it all links together in terms of how we view our childhood before we start to have therapy, before we start to become aware of things and often indeed before we become parents ourselves as opposed to when we really start to realise how toxic so many of these behaviours were. So let's actually get into it and talk about neglect on this episode otherwise we are going to run out of time. I've spoken about this on the podcast before and I spoke to Helen Villers and Katie McKenna and they were kind of the beginning of when I started to think, oh, hang on a minute. Actually, yeah, that that doesn't sound like something that I would do with my own children. But when I've talked about it across social media, there's been quite a mixed response as to whether or not it would be viewed as neglect or whether it's just indicative of a different generation. So forgive me if you have heard this story before because I am going to share a few other examples with you. But I remember being about nine, ten and being left at home alone throughout the entirety of the summer holidays and I've always thought that firstly that wasn't neglect it was necessity because my mum was a single mum and she had to work but actually when I sat back and thought about it my grandparents lived within walking distance and I think my granddad was still alive at that time I'm not 100% sure if my grandma was but my granddad certainly was still alive at that time and the main reason for me being alone is because I didn't like the kids clubs which really when I think about it in terms of my own kids I can't imagine allowing them to be in an unsafe situation with no way to contact me because my mum was a theatre nurse so she would be in the middle of operations it's not like I could ring up and say hey mum the house is on fire can you help me even though she was only around the corner she was still essentially unreachable because of the type of work that she did and I've, I've told this to many a psychologist psychotherapist and social worker and every single one of them has said the same thing. Leaving a child for 11 hours, especially a child who's not yet at secondary school, is neglect. But I have always framed it to myself as necessity. Now, my mum could absolutely afford kids clubs. My mum also had friends who had children who would offer to take me, but I would not like that. I would much prefer to be at home. And that was what I used to say. And she just couldn't be bothered with dealing with having to drag me out of bed, having to get me there and dealing with all of these things because it was easier to just give in and say, oh yeah, no, you don't have to go to kids club. You can sit at home on your own and watch TV all day, which is baffling to me as a parent now. When I was much, much younger than that, probably about seven, maybe six, if my mum had to work during the summer holidays, then I would be taken to her work and sit in her staff room office 
for those 11 hours with her staff occasionally popping in and out and smiling at me. But that was in an operating theatre staff room. And I distinctly remember on one occasion, I'd been sat in the staff room for hours. I was really bored and I would take along like maybe a teddy to play with or something like that. And I think when Game Boys came out a bit later on, I think I had something like that. I don't really remember too much of it. I just remember sitting for hours and hours and hours in this small box room where there were cups and things and then occasionally I'd help make teas because that would make me feel like I was doing something useful and I remember on this one occasion I'd walked through the operating theatre front area and anyone who is a nurse will be absolutely aghast I'm sure and tried to open the actual operating theatre door and peered through with patients on the table that is on so many levels misconduct and on so many levels unsuitable for me because guess who was in trouble for interrupting and for putting my mum in a position where she looked bad at work? Me. But I was just a child who was trying to find their mum because they'd been left alone for hours and again I've never until maybe the last two or three months thought about that in a negative light on my mum as opposed to looking at myself and being like yeah no wow what an annoying child I was isn't it baffling to think that I've never reframed it to myself even as a mother now if my eight-year-old was trying to find me that's on me that's not on my eight-year-old you know she's eight if she comes to me in the middle of a meeting and says mommy I need a snack I might say to her, mummy's in a meeting and actually that wasn't appropriate to interrupt me then. Could you have waited two or three minutes? But I would have to pause my meeting to help her out. And we saw this through the pandemic with meetings being interrupted left, right and centre. Kids do it. It's what happens when you've got children and you are responsible for them. So the majority of us have had some kind of experience of trying to work whilst also trying to look after children. A staff room for 11 hours... An operating theatre, none of those are suitable places for a child. And I do remember, actually, I used to love going and playing in the storeroom where they had the needles and the syringes, which actually... Oh, that's not cool either. I've never thought of that. I used to grab a few of the supplies and go to the staff room and play nurse. God, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I used to... Never the needles. I was always told you can't take the needles, but you can take the different syringes and the gloves. Oh, God. Okay, moving on swiftly. Despite being left alone and even things like walking home from the age of seven or eight, which I do still feel is indicative of the times, I know a lot of people would walk home or walk to the shop and that kind of thing when they were that age. I was what you would have called a latchkey kid for a certain amount of time, which is interesting because I was a latchkey kid, but my mum would often talk in a very derogatory way about my dad being a latchkey kid and how he was neglected and didn't have the love and affection he deserved. And that was why he was such a dick, which in hindsight is potentially her story too. Again, the same principle was uh, when I first started secondary school at the age of 11, I would take a train from home through to York because my mum had to be in work and there was no other method to do it and a group of us would go together. I don't think those instances are particularly neglect. But when I think about being left for excessive periods of time, that was a, a good chunk of my childhood and that's absolutely neglect. When I look at doing that to my children, and even though we live in the here and now, 
In my eyes, I would say it was even more so neglect because back then there was no mobile phone to text. There was no quick phone call. She was completely unreachable and that was unacceptable. As if that wasn't bad enough, something that I've always felt a little bit uncomfortable around and always thought, yeah, no, I wouldn't do that with my kids, but it was a different time. And I will say here, I've often excused my mum's behaviour because she was a single mum. And I now look at that and think that is so derogatory to the many, many women that I know who are single mothers, who are amazing mothers, who go above and beyond and bend over backwards to ensure that not only are their children safe and prioritised, but are loved and nurtured. Their kids don't have any less because they are a single mother. In my instance, I've often felt like, oh, well, I don't know what it is like to be a single mother. And my mum would remind me of that if ever I flagged any of these things with her as I got older. You you don't know what it was like for me. I didn't have anyone around me. Well, she did. She had friends. She had grandparents. She had options of kids clubs because she could afford them. She definitely had options, but she chose not to use them. And that's the difference. So I remember quite often, and I wouldn't say it was continual, I'd say maybe it was once a month, I would be left on a night because my mum would go out with her friends. And again, I've always passed this off as, oh, well, she's a single mum, it was difficult to find a babysitter. No, it bloody wasn't. It wasn't difficult to find a babysitter at all. But it was certainly cheaper and easier. And my mum's rationale for it is that she wasn't going out drinking. She was going out dancing and she was the designated driver so therefore it wasn't a big deal and I remember on one particular occasion I'd done something that had really upset her and I hadn't thought about this for years until I really started to think about neglect in terms of my childhood and I'd done something that had really upset her and made her fly into that narcissistic rage and she'd said to me I don't like you very much right now I love you and I always will but I don't like you very much right now which she always used to say to me uh, which is something that I used to say to my children because I thought, well, no, that makes sense when actually it's an incredibly toxic thing to say to a child. What I mean is I don't like your behavior right now, but I always love you. It's that kind of backhanded compliment that I thought was just a good way to be strict. And until reassessing my parenting and realizing actually that's very toxic, I would have said myself because it sounds like, you know, you know, it's a bit of a shit sandwich, isn't it? I love you very much, but I don't like you. Well, what children do with that is internalise the feeling that they're not very likeable. And I don't want my kids to feel that way and have since apologised to them for that and explained why I've said that. To which they were completely baffled and like, well, I don't give a shit. What are you talking about, mum? Which I felt very proud of because I certainly do give a shit as a mum and as a child who didn't have a mum that gave a shit. And I remember this one occasion when I'd been left after this had been said to me and she'd stormed out of the house and it must have been about six seven o'clock at night and she didn't come back until I think it was about midnight and I'd stayed up because I was so upset that I'd upset her before she'd gone out and what if something happened to her and that was the last thing that we ever said the last conversation we ever had and I was alone and I'd forced her to go out in a temper and she'd gone out drinking and dancing or rather dancing because she wasn't drinking her friends were and sometimes she'd come back later than that, maybe one o'clock in the morning. Sometimes she'd come back a bit earlier at 11 o'clock and she just didn't see it as an issue for me at the age of, certainly not secondary school age, much younger, must have been between seven and nine to be left alone for hours 
on my own watching TV. And I know that it was later than a certain time because I remember putting Channel 5 on it. And if any of you are from the 90s (laughs) and you will know what late night Channel 5 represented. (laughs) But guess who got told off? for waiting up and made to feel shame for waiting up and made to feel like they were in the wrong for waiting up because they were so frightened. Me. And that is neglect. And I was feeding this back to a social worker friend of mine saying how I find it difficult to look at my childhood through the lens of neglect because I often feel like the enmeshment, the infantilization, they negate those things. Like how could somebody who treated you like a baby then neglect you really? And she is a social worker and I was talking to her and saying, I've never really thought about them as neglectful things, but this is what happened to me. And she said, unequivocally, you would be flagged to us now and then had social services been made aware of it because I have people that I'm currently working with who do far less and would be flagged for those things because that is just not acceptable and sometimes it's in speaking to professionals and hearing them say that's neglect and that's not okay for you to actually step back and go yeah wow I'm allowed to acknowledge that that was neglect and that was wrong and that has hurt me and that has left me with a whole host of abandonment issues which I already had niggling away because of my dad that was not acceptable and I think sometimes it's in that validation of realizing and accepting that that was not acceptable that you can then grieve for it process it and move on and work through those things and decide that that is not something that you're going to allow to be repeated with your children I want to give you an example of my mum's narcissism at play when it comes to neglect and how the shame and blame game would be always flipped onto me. So I've told this story on TikTok before, but I did want to share it with you here on the podcast because I think it's a really poignant reminder that this is not something that people are unaware that they're doing to their children. This is not something that people, I often hear a lot of, oh, but maybe she didn't know better. And absolutely, toxic parents know better when they are doing these things to their children. You know that that is not a way to treat a child. So in this particular example, I must have been about nine or ten. I can't have been any older than that and I certainly wasn't at secondary school yet. And I was out playing with a group of friends. We all we lived in a cul-de-sac area and we were all playing together, mixed boys and girls. And one of the girls' older brothers was quite known in the area for not being very nice. And he must have been about 12. He come over and was picking on us all and he wasn't being nice at all. And he picked up a piece of wood and started swinging it at people. And I wasn't flinching. I was doing the I'm big tough girl act and not being bothered at all. And he swung the piece of wood. It was like a plank, really, that had fallen off someone's fence, I think. And he swung the piece of wood at me and I put my hand out to stop it from hitting me and I still have I'm looking at it right now the scar in my hand that looks like a freckle where a piece of nail rusty nail went into my hand obviously I screamed as a child would at that well as anybody would if they'd been hit by a rusty nail plank of wood and he ran off and one of my little friends who they he lived directly opposite our house 
ran over and took me to his mum. And obviously with them being neighbours, she could see that my mum wasn't in and was a bit curious as to why I hadn't gone to my mum when I'd been hurt. And she said to me, Harriet, where's your mum? Why haven't you gone home? As she was bandaging up my hand and trying to clean the wound. And I said to her, as any child would do, I think I must have been younger than 10, I must have been more 8 or 9, but as it, no, I moved to this house when I was 9, so I must have been 9 or 10, but I was still very little, certainly not at secondary school, and I said to her, oh, she's gone to the pub with her friends, because she had, she'd actually gone for some pub lunch with a group of her friends, and I, at this age, this was just so normalised to me that I would be left for long periods of time without being able to reach her or contact her. It was just so normalised for me that I would be on my own and trusted to be responsible that I thought that was perfectly normal. And I remember my friend's mum looking at me and saying, she's, she's gone to the pub. Do you know which pub? And I said, no, I don't know. And she went, do you know if can you contact her? And I said, no, I don't know how to get in contact with her. I think maybe, maybe one of them's got a phone, but I don't know. I'm not sure. And that was that. And I went home and I don't know what had been said, if anything, but I'd reiterated to my mum what had happened. Her first question when she saw that I had plasters on my hand was, who did that? And when I said, oh, it was Anne over the road, she looked after me. She asked me before anything else, what did you tell her about where I was? And I said, oh, I said you were at the pub. And she hit the roof. There was so much blame of, you've made me look like a bad parent. How dare you say that about me? You've made me sound like a drunk going off to the pub on a weekend. And I felt so ashamed, like I'd done something wrong, like I'd betrayed her confidence. I didn't even know that Uh, she would be judged for that because to me that was just the norm that was just the expected was that I would be left and that would be okay like she can't get into trouble for that right turns out she can because it's very much neglect yeah and I always think of this story now when people talk about oh maybe she didn't know better because it's a prime example of how a narcissist absolutely knows that what they're doing is wrong how they know that that behavior is unacceptable if you know that you would get into trouble for it and you would not want other people to be made aware of what you're doing then you absolutely know that what you are doing is wrong And she did. And rather than be accountable for that and say, oh, sweetheart, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have actually left you. I, I, And I think at the time she'd asked me to come along with her. These were the kind of decisions that I was making at such a young age. She'd asked me if I wanted to come along and have Sunday, Sunday dinner. And I'd said no, because I'd rather go out and play with my friends. So that was okay. And that was my decision. The same as going to school. I do remember at secondary school when I was older at about year 10. I didn't like secondary school. I hated it. I'd had to leave the school that I really liked because my mum could no longer afford to send me and frankly should never have tried to send me. I think it was just a big two fingers up to my dad and I was that school was so bigged up and it was a beautiful wonderful school but it was so bigged up to me that anything else was considered crap and less and awful and a failure so of course when I went to my second secondary school which was a normal state school I hated it before I even got there I hated it all the time because it had always been framed to me as a place that I shouldn't be and that it was my dad's fault that I was there when in fact I don't think it was that bad a school I think I struggled a lot with my peers because of things that were going on at home 
but I actually, come year nine, year 10, had 20% attendance. Because if I woke up that morning and said to my mum, I don't want to go to school, I'm really unhappy, I'm being picked on, I don't want to go, which are conversations that I have most days with my eldest at 12. And I'm sure if any of you are parents listening, are conversations that you have with your kids on a regular basis, I would just be told, yeah, okay, no, that's fine. Um, You really should go to school, you're going to get me into trouble. You're going to get me into trouble by not wanting to go to school and just allowed to make those decisions to not go into school. And I do struggle sometimes now with my own parenting. Ruben didn't want to go into school on his birthday. And I'd said to Adam, do we do we just not send him? Is that do we think that's okay? And Adam looked at me and was like, when did you ever not go into school on your birthday? And then went, actually don't answer that because never. Because if I woke up and said, I don't want to go to school. I'd rather stay at home and play with all my new stuff today and be able to have fun at home alone listening to, it wasn't MTV, it was, I can't remember what it was called, TLC or something like that, the free one because we didn't have MTV at the time. Then that would be fine. I would be allowed to do that and that would just be something that I would do without any consideration as to whether or not that was acceptable to allow a young teenager to make those decisions. In terms of what neglect has left me with as an adult, I don't mind outing myself here. I have a deep-seated fear of abandonment and it's really difficult to navigate because quite often I self-abandon in order to keep other people happy and I would stay in a situation that was detrimental to me because I feel like I can fix it. I saw a TikTok not so long ago and it's really, really stuck with me. It struck me so hard where someone was sharing something that their therapist had said to them about their fear of abandonment and why they stay in toxic relationships or why they stay in difficult situations. It read, my therapist told me that the reason why I stay so long in toxic relationships or situations is because my inner child is trying to heal my own abandonment issues by sticking with them no matter what, like I wish someone had done for me. And that just really hit me, because it's so true. Subconsciously, trying to fix the way that you felt and ensure that you never make anybody else feel that way is so deeply ingrained in your psyche that you don't even realise you're doing it to your own detriment. And you stay in these toxic relationships or toxic situations because your inner child feels a need to stick with somebody the way that you were not stuck with. On the complete flip side from that, from never wanting to abandon somebody because subconsciously my inner child didn't want to be abandoned, I am hyper-independent. I also never want to rely on anybody or have to trust anybody with my emotions or with anything that I need. It is probably the driving factor behind me insisting that I have my own finances, that I have my own career, that I am never reliant on Adam for anything actually even if it comes to asking for help getting something off the top shelf I have to work hard to ask I would rather put my back out climbing into the loft to pull something down that would take him 15 minutes than I would simply ask for help and that goes so deeply 
And in a way, I've always thought of that as my adult self, but I guess in a way you could think of it as your adolescent self saying, yeah, well, no one's going to upset us. No one's going to do this to us. We're going to do everything for ourselves, which has served me well in some ways and in other ways, not so much. I do have a tendency to push people away because if they get too close and I allow them to become too integrated in my life, then what if they abandon me? So in order to protect that inner child, I'm hyper-independent, but that inner child will never abandon anyone because she needs to fix her own abandonment issues so then it's for your adult self to step in and go okay well what's going on here like if we're asking for a guy to reach something off the top of the cupboard he's probably not going to expect too much we we can probably reach out and that's probably going to be a safe bet Harriet and I joke because it's painful to go too deep on it but it is there And it is true. And it is a case of sitting with yourself and saying, what is going on here? And why am I behaving these ways? What issue is it that I'm picking up on here? Because it does leave you with those issues. And it is really hard to overcome, which is why I always recommend, if possible, speaking to a therapist. Because working through these things in therapy has allowed me to engage my adult self and keep these other tendencies that I have where I am hyper-independent or where I will sacrifice myself to please other people in check and to challenge those parts of myself and say, hey, hang on a minute, no, that's not acceptable behaviour, you need to set a boundary around that or "Mm, you are just being a bit silly here and causing yourself a problem because you're refusing to ask for help. And that is the end of today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have found this informative and it has given you food for thought and made you feel validated if you have had any of these experiences. As always, sending you love and kindness. I've been Harriet Shearsmith and together we are Unfollowing Mum. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.